Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time, so we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood award history. My name is Corey. And my name's Jeff. That's right, Jeff. The Oscars are upon us. In yes, fact, it is. Probably already has happened by the time this comes out. <clears throat> yes, by the time you hear this, the Oscars will have probably happened, and you've already had your Oscar parties socially distant with masks on. Sure, sure. Being responsible, but also being fans of entertainment, Jeff. We are not a podcast. Wait, 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 Corey. Corey, what? you're not wearing your tux. Oh, shit. Now, Let here I am. Here Sorry. I am looking like a dumbass with my tux on. I am wearing my Switch the Envelope hat, though, Jeff, because we are not a podcast about the current Oscars. We're not oh, going okay. to predict the winners and then release this after the fact and hope that we got it right. But That's the Oscars the are going to be it. on, man. I know. I know, Jeff. What do we do? best on this podcast or what did we used to do best on this podcast we say who should have won it's right we go back in time to another oscars and we tell them how they got it wrong as the theme song just told everybody (laughs) exactly we are best in hindsight yes so in honor of it being oscars week uh we're going to go back to that old format a little bit and we're going to fire up al and al's going to give us a year of the Oscars and a category in which we are to examine and figure out if the right movie or actor or writer or director won. Looks like we have the year 1989 Ooh. and it's Best Picture. Look at that. Best Picture 1989. All right, Al. Why, why don't we go, uh, go through sort of the current events that happened in 1989 around the time that this Oscars was happening? All right, let's do some headlines from 1989. The year 1989. <laughs> Taking you back to 1989, we've got to get you back into the headspace. Back in 1989, the president was George H.W. Bush. Newly minted president. Yes, not George W. Bush, but the father, George H.W. Bush. Uh, he was a one-term president. But he, he was the better office. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face he t- it, one term, but he was the better Bush. He took office in 1989, and he was in office until 1992 when he lost an election to Bill Clinton. And his sweet saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> 1989 also saw in November uh, the down or the fall of the Berlin Wall, one of the most Ooh. pivotal moments of the 20th century. Oh shit! This happened in, on November 9th, 1989. There was tons of things happening on that wall at the time it fell, like David Hasselhoff being all David Hasselhoff on top of that wall. Yeah, Some David- people think that's the reason why it fell. Hmm. Well. David Hasselhoff wasn't at the Oscars, you know. Where where could he have been? Well, he was out there bringing down communism. <laughs> yeah, that's right. David Hasselhoff saved us all from evil communists. <laughs> he was Thank the you, one David. that said, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yeah. 
And also, let's see, in 1989, <laughs> the average home Ooh. was about $120,000. Fuck you. <laughs> Not you, Jeff. 1989. <laughs> about $150,000 in California. And gas prices were about $1.25 a gallon. Yeah. It was a similar More, time, Jeff. <laughs> and then uh, average new car cost about $12,000. The world was also introduced that year to the television show Saved by the Bell. You know what else 1989. was introduced? What? That year? Not only Saved by the Bell, Jeff. Which, which, which aired August 20th, 1989 on NBC. Quantum Leap also premieres this year. Quantum Leap. Oh, my God. This is the... Oh, my God. I'm just... Oh, oh. Al is giving us just low-hanging fruits, juicy fruit to, to you know, bite, bite our teeth into. They were a mid-season release or they were a late-season release. Quantum Leap aired four days before this Academy Awards. <gasps> Dude. Oh, that's... That's pretty awesome. And with Al, that connection. Al, you did this on, purpo on purpose. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? Connection. I'm going to have a Bugles because of that. <laughs> bugles. America's. <laughs> what did you call it? <laughs> no, it's their America's number one finger hat. Yeah, <laughs> finger hats. Oh. Well, with that, with that connection, Jeff, I bugles. think. I think it's, uh, it's time that we take a peek behind the Oscars. Mm, bugles. Yes, let's look behind the Oscars. All right, this is the 61st Academy Awards that happened, like I just mentioned, on Wednesday. Wednesday. It's weird that an Oscars happens on Wednesday. I'm so used to Wait, Oscars Wait, they had happening. it on a Wednesday? Yeah. They happened all throughout uh, weekdays for the longest time. And then, I guess not too long ago... Uh, How are you going to have an Oscars party? They became a Sunday thing. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, How are you, gonna go? you can't call in sick on a Thursday. That's weird. <laughs> and especially not for the Oscars. Uh Wednesday, March 29th of 1989. So again, four days after the best TV show ever premiered. That's crazy. That there was no host, Jeff. Was this the first time they did that? No, I don't think so. Or at least my research didn't signify that it was a, the Wait, first time that no host did was the, was the Was that because they were slated to use Scott Bakula, but he couldn't <laughs> because he had stepped into a time, time machine yep. and then vanished? Well, not Scott Bakula. Dr. Sam Beckett was slated to host, but he accidentally okay. stepped into the time accelerator 10 years into the future from that okay. point. <laughs> and then he wound up in NCIS New Orleans, and then yep. he just couldn't get out of it? Couldn't gotcha. get out of that contract. Nope. Um, it was interesting, though. Most watch Oscars up until that date, and it sucked. Wait, it sucked? Generally thought of as a terrible Oscars. Critics hated it, um, mostly because of these overthought musical numbers. Uh, one <clears throat> film critic, a critic named Janet uh, Maslin, um, really, really late, laid into it, especially the opening number, which features uh, actress Eileen Bowman uh, dressed up as Disney's Snow White, who's like stunned by the glitz and glamour of Hollywood for whatever reason. Um, she was quoted saying, it deserves a permanent place in the annals of Oscar embarrassments. And she also says that the I want to be an Oscar winner uh, musical number that happens uh, was confusingly shot and inspired no confidence in Hollywood's future, Jeff. No wow, confidence. Wow, that's a really bad, re really, really <laughs> bad Hollywood's review. Hollywood's future. 
Oh, man. It was so bad, Jeff, that 17 people, including the actors Paul Newman, Gregory Peck, Julie Andrews, uh, director Billy Wilder, uh, director Joseph Mankiewicz, uh, they all signed an open letter deriding the telecast as, quote, an embarrassment to both the Academy and the entire motion picture industry. <laughs> Those are some bad reviews. Holy fuck! <laughs> It gets worse. Because they used the image of Snow White in their opening number, or an actress dressed up as Snow White, the Walt Disney Company sued the, the uh, uh, American Motion Pictures uh, Academy uh, for use of her likeness, and the lawsuit cited copyright infringement, unfair competition, and a dilution of business reputation. Don't you think they would have <laughs> The Oscars known diluted that? Disney's business reputation. Because the opening number was so god awful. Do you think they? Why wouldn't they know that? <laughs> like, why wouldn't they know to pass that through Disney? Disney's <laughs> part of that organization. I don't think Disney had owned ABC yet. Um, no, it doesn't matter. They, they still were, they were the close to owning owning ABC. They still own a. They still at that time owned a major, major. Oh yeah. Um, they, Big studio. What's called studio and mm-hmm. television networks. Yeah. The Disney network was a huge network. They owned all that stuff. There's no way that they didn't have. How how could the Academy not have asked them? I don't know, but it was. It's quite an embarrassment for the Academy and the producer of the telecast. Uh, real quickly, a couple notable nominees. Uh, just because I, it was I, the coincidence this year was uh, was so interesting. Glenn Close is nominated this year uh, for. Wait, 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 um, wait, wait! We cannot say that that's notable. She's no, I mean, she's like nominated every year. Well, hold on, but she's she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in 1989 for her. Oh, excuse me, she's nominated for Supporting Actress this year for um, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, and in 1989, she was nominated for Best Actress for her role as um, Isabel in Dangerous Liaisons. Right, then Francis McDormand yes. was is nominated this year. Dormant or Dermot? McDermott, D O R M A N D, Dormant. Francis McDormand. <laughs> just mess with you, man. McDormand. I don't know. Francis, great actress. I love her. McDermott. Francis McDormand. <laughs> yes, she was. Uh, she's nominated this year for best actress in Nomadland. And in 1989, she was nominated for her role as the wife of racist officer Pell in Mississippi Burning. Mm-hmm. And she was very good in that. So in 1989, they were both nominated. And this year, they were all, they're also nominated, but they've switched categories. Which and I thought the, was, Mississippi Burning, was really though, cool. she plays a very different part. She does. Very different part. She has a ton of range. Like, fucking deep. She runs deep as an actor. Uh, it's quite impressive to watch everything she does. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan, except I just don't know how to say her last name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to move on to the top 10 movies of the box office for the year 1988 or 89, Corey. The movies of 1988, which are celebrated in the year 1989 Oscars. Okay, so the top 10 movies of the box office for 1988. Corey, why don't you let us know what those movies are? Uh, well, before we get to the top 10, Jeff... Some notable people or notable films outside of the top 10 for you kids out there or you 80s kids out there, I should say. The Land Before Time and Oliver and Company came out this year. 
that's not notable. Just want to tell you that's what's not, that's what's not notable because we're speaking about sort of the turmoil at the Walt Disney Company that led to uh, a huge move in a completely different direction under Michael Eisner. Oliver and Company comes out. Land Before Time is a movie that was produced by a bunch of animators that left the Walt Disney Company and started their own studio. And wouldn't you know it, The Land Before Time did better at the box office than Oliver and Company. It's a pretty sick burn from all of their animators. Like, oh, oh, you, you want to treat us like shit? We're going to go. They Jerry Maguire'd them, and then they beat them at the box office. You mean like the exact that. same thing that happened when DreamWorks left and they made Shrek? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of is a regular thing that happens to Disney because they're terrible with for their employees. Disney is not known for being nice so to what's their the, animators. So what's anyway. the next notable one? Uh, pretty much everything 20 to 11 is like 80s movie heaven. <laughs> Let's hear it. You've got 1989 Bel- was a great movie year. Biloxi Blues, Young Guns, the original. Wait, wait. Colors. Biloxi Blues, for those of you who don't know, Biloxi Blues stars Matthew Broderick. It's mm-hmm. a movie about um, training camp or, uh, sorry, basic training for, mm-hmm. for no, if you're sure. going to the army. Mm-hmm. Basic training, and it's about a guy. It's about a guy going through training and kind of writing everything down in his journal, and it's kind of like a coming of age story. Go on. It's it's a um, yeah. It's a more uh, it's a less crude uh, Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> no, it's not really a Full Metal Jacket. It's more about uh, brother <laughs> uh, brother. It's about brotherhood. Whereas Full Metal Jacket is a more the, sentimental the, Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> well, no, Full Metal Jacket is about the the hell of war and it's about the what happens to boys that go to war Biloxi blues is just about yeah. going to the army and what happens what happens oh, between was, this yeah. guy and his brothers kind i was of. just saying that the boot camp aspect of it no but in full metal jacket it's brutal yes mm. uh young guns like i said colors 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 it's the only thing i know from that movie is the damn thing ice tea yeah yeah a nightmare on elm street four the dream master Twins, Jeff, came in at number 16 of the year. Uh, moving up the list, Jeff and my favorite baseball movie, Bull Durham. Yep. Reached 15. Uh, one of my favorite, I'm sure it's one of Jeff's favorite uh, Christmas movies, Scrooge, made it to number 14. That is my favorite Christmas movie. I would really? almost watch that over Christmas Vacation. <sighs> That's almost blasphemous, but I'll accept it. <laughs> Because Scrooge is awesome. It's one of those that is always on our, our holiday viewing. It is the best telling of A Christmas Carol. I agree. Hands down. And Bill Murray is fantastic in it. Uh, Rambo 3. Eh, it snuck in there. <laughs> Rambo 3 is actually the best Rambo. It's good. It is, if it's, you like, it's, but it's still a Rambo movie. And, no, if you like Rambo movies, which I know, Corey, you're not that into those. But if you like Rambo movies. I like movies, First Blood. First Blood is terrible. God, I like First Blood sucks. because it feels like it should. It, it's not. It's not. I a, know what that means, but okay. So like all of the other Rambo movies became just about like machine gun spray and blood splatter and just like mindless uh, action, right? The first movie felt like a misunderstood, you know, guy with uh, PTSD that was just trying to get back and have people leave him alone, and nobody wanted to leave him alone. Yeah. And so he, you know, he's fighting back against the system that just won't let him deal with his shit. I understand that. It's still a terrible yeah. movie, though. 
Yeah, it's, it's now it's Rambo an, three. It, it has an indie feel. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Rambo three has is an amazing action movie. It's an amazing action movie. Yes, but I'm I'm saying like it's you know it became something that it wasn't originally, and I I I prefer the story line of the original to sort of what Rambo would become. But uh, moving up the list, Willow, Jeff. Oh my God. Yeah, Willow, which I just saw recently, and. Um, while its special effects look dated, they also look awesome. Yeah, they, that's it holds thing. up. That movie holds you know up. You know what I mean? Uh, one of my favorite weird comedies of the 80s, Jeff, uh, rounds out uh, number, on number 11, and that's A Fish Called Wanda. You like that movie? It's God, so that weird. sucked. It's so weird. All right, moving on to the actual top 10 here. Coming in at 10, Jeff. A great movie starring Michael Keaton. Can you guess which Michael Keaton movie came out? The new Flash movie. Michael Keaton? Uh, Yes, the new Flash movie coming out. He's going to play Batman. Is that what we're talking about? No. What movie in 1988 starring Michael Keaton came out? Sorry, Batman. At number 10. No, Batman Batman. 1989. Oh. This movie predates it. So, Batman in 2022. (laughs) No. Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlejuice. Sorry. You can see Ooh, I was a little excited. Don't say his excited. name one more time, Jeff. We've oh, already sorry. said it twice. You, you, you can see that I'm excited about him coming back as Batman in the Flash movie. Yes, it is It is okay. quite exciting. Yes. But no, he was in that other movie where they jump on the line Sonora or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving up to number nine. Oh, uh, that movie uh, grossed $73.7 million at the box office. Moving up to number nine, Jeff's favorite Tom Cruise movie of the 80s, Cocktail. Ah, yeah. it was one of my favorite movies of my childhood. Cocktail grossed $78.2 million, Jeff. Off the heels of Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, moving on from Cocktail, just edging it out at number eight with $80 million is Moonstruck. Snap out of it! Oh, Nicolas Cage getting slapped the fuck out <sighs> by Cher. That's where Cher kind of proved that she was a good actress, actually. Yes, Moonstruck, pretty good movie. Definitely not, definitely not in Mask that won an Academy Award, but definitely in Moonstruck is where she learned that. Uh, number seven, the best Christmas movie ever. The second Christmas movie to crack the top 20 here. Let me see here. Yep. Uh, Die Hard, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing needs to be said about Die Hard. Only $83 million. Die Hard was not a success. You know what the total gross of Die Hard was? $80 million or $83 million. <laughs> no, I know. Like I said, Die Hard wasn't like a huge success. But it's, you, you, it's a phenomenon now. It wasn't a huge success back then. Number six, a blowing Die Hard away by more than $7 million with $90 million at the box office is Three Men and a Baby, Jeff. Fuck yeah. It's because of the ghost in there. It's because of the little kid ghost. Yep. Yep. You got to give at least Actually, 10, million, 10 million to that ghost. Fucking reason why that movie did so well is Tom Selleck's mustache. And Ted Danson and Steve, not Steve Gutenberg. No, Steve <laughs> Gutenberg did not do anything for that movie. No, it was mostly Tom Selleck and Ted Danson. <laughs> no, it was Tom Selleck's mustache. Oh, just his mustache. Yeah, that's true. Just his mustache. It was Ted Danson maybe adding vampire some cheers. Teeth? Is no, vampire just adding something from Cheers. Oh, just Cheers. <laughs> Moving into the top five uh, with $109 million at the box office, Crocodile Dundee 2, Jeff. Oh, great movie. Yep. 
Uh, number four with $114.9 million, one of my favorite movies, Big. Uh, number three, one of uh, Robin Williams' better dramatic roles, even though he's still kind of kooky in it, uh, with $122.2 million, is Good Morning Vietnam, Jeff. God, the best movie. Wait, that's not nominated? No. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, that's got to be on the list. You want to add Good Morning Vietnam? Absolutely. That movie that's should be alternate. on the fucking list as an alternate because there's no reason why Good Morning Vietnam shouldn't have been nominated that year. All right. Uh, so Good Morning Vietnam, adding it as an alternate. Uh, number two, the movie we just talked about, Coming to America with $128.1 million. Huge movie that we just got the sequel on Amazon. I thought Coming to America was a flop. I'm actually super shocked that it was huge success it showed in the most theaters too it showed in 2000 theaters where everything else is like 1500 1700 the only thing that beat it in theater count looks like uh crocodile dundee and rambo 3 so it was thought, it was everywhere i always thought coming to america was a flop that year but i guess not well consider also eddie murphy's raw made it into the top 50 of this list so eddie murphy with that popularity wave and arsenio hall with the show and everything they just pushed the shit out of this movie and they put it in as many theaters as they could it's a funny ass movie it's great the original one is great but you said that the second one is just just okay it's okay (laughs) i mean eddie murphy and arsenio hall okay is still good enough for me (laughs) the new one doesn't have the same like uh zip yeah yeah and the number one movie, Jeff, coming in at $156.4 million. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? It also stars one of our favorite actors, Christopher Lloyd. All right, so that is where we were at the movies in 1988. Now let's get to the nominees for Best Picture of 1988 for the Oscars in 1989. Best Picture for the 61st Academy Awards went to Rain Man. The other nominees for this Best Picture were The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. Of course, Corey and I are going to also add our own. And right now, I'm going to add in Good Morning Vietnam. And Corey, Mm -hmm. do you have any other ones to add? Uh, I mean, fuck it, Bull Durham or Big. Why not? Okay. So maybe, maybe just big. I, I think big is more of a Oscar caliber type of okay. movie. I mean, if working girl counts, big counts, right? Yeah. So I think what we'll do is rather than go through each one of these movies and rate them, we'll mark one of them off right away. There is a movie in here called, we'll start with dangerous liaisons. Um, we, dangerous we get, liaisons. What? You don't want to talk about dangerous liaisons? I don't because I think Corey and I think the exact same thing about dangerous liaisons. Dangerous Liaisons is a period piece. Very hard-hitting cast, but this movie Don't know sucks. Why. <laughs> this movie sucks. This movie was... It's weird that they would nominate actors for this movie because, in general, I felt like the acting was super flat and it was like people just reading words with no purpose behind them. It, it felt very odd to me. Like They were and trying to get the language right. Like trying Keanu to do Reeves is terrible in this movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is not great. Terrible. So we're just going to mark, mark that off as a, what, one one finger? It, probably. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like, there's a scene in which John Malkovich rapes Uma Thurman. 
and it turns her into like a sex craved teenager. It was like uh, that's in what? that's in that's kind of the, what happens in Cruel Intentions. Also, that plot point sucks. It sucks because yeah, he's it's in the book. I mean, that's, he's that's... also a guy who fucked her mom, and it's like, oh, there's so much gross about. It. I mean, I think in general they're trying to sort of like almost be a satire on that sort of Victorian era, uh, you know, uh, virtue. No, they're not. They're not trying to be. No, they're not, not trying to be all. satire. It's supposed to be these people who are just awful. They're bored and rich. Yeah, they're bored, rich, and just awful people, and they have no redeeming qualities. That's the point of the movie. That's the point yeah. of the. That's the point of it. Fuck them. They're off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome to the show where we rate and review the movies from the year 1988. We don't do this whimsically. It is yes. science, damn it. We have a rating scale. This is how our rating scale goes. We give a f- movie one finger if the movie we feel is timeless. We give a movie two fingers if it is compelling. So if it's both timeless and compelling, they get two fingers. If it is both timeless, compelling, and if it is well cast, the movie gets three fingers. If the movie is both timeless, compelling, and well cast, and would hold up to multiple viewings, it gets four fingers. If it is both timeless, compelling, well cast, holds up to multiple viewings, and we would recommend this movie to another person, it gets the full fucking five fingers of Switch the Envelope podcast. Or as we like to call it, a movie high five. Movie high five. So, once again, if a movie is... Timeless, compelling, well cast, holds up to multiple viewings, and we'd recommend it to others, it gets five fingers. If it is missing any one of those, we deduct fingers. Or if Jeff and I are split, we give a half finger. Yeah, we can do half fingers like that because it's our show. So we're going to start with, since we already marked off Dangerous Liaisons because it's a piece of shit movie, we're going to start with the movie The Accidental Tourist. First of all, I'm going to give you a quick little synopsis of The Accidental Tourist. Basically, William Hurt is in, a, is in a marriage. Their son dies. His wife goes crazy. He leaves, goes moves in with his relatives. While he's moving in with his relatives, he meets a woman, played by Gina Davis, who is going to help him with his dog. Gina Davis pursues him. It's a romantic love story, kind of with a dog, with Gina Davis, who is kind of harsh to the dog. It kind of made She's me uncomfortable. Very, I was very uncomfortable with how harsh she was with that dog. I was going to bring that up, Jeff. I'm glad I'm not the only one. She's, no, she was using that choker. She's like, yeah. she plays a dog trainer slash vet yeah. uh, in, in this movie. And she trains William Hurt's dog with a choke, with like a choke collar. Do you feel this Corey is a timeless movie? Hmm. That's uh. That's tough because there's nothing necessarily in this movie that makes it feel overtly dated. I mean, there's like a push button, f- you know, phone on a in hotel rooms and stuff like that. But most of it feels not tethered to any particular time. You know, he's a traveler who you know he could he could be a blogger. He he writes a, a travel vlog or whatever. Um, she's a dog trainer. They have a friendship. Their son dies or um. Uh, William Hurt's son died. Like nothing in the plot feels like if you watched it at any point from 1988 to now that you'd feel like, oh, that's a really dated movie, except for Gina Davis's hair. I disagree. I think it feels like a 1980s TV movie. Really? 
Hmm. Um, is you think the movie is uh, compelling? Are, are, are we split on that one? Yeah, we're split. All right, so excellent. You think it's us. a compelling story? Um, I wanted it to be compelling, but like I said, the tone of the filmmaking, which I think it's shot wonderfully, it just feels like we. I felt like at the end of this movie, we were going to find out that Gina Davis had something to do with the murder of their son. <laughs> like she I was told you, I thought it would have been great if Gina time. Davis ends up with the wife. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was going to be some weird like love triangle switch. Like The whole movie makes you feel so uneasy in not the right way. I didn't think it was compelling at all. So, hmm. All right, half point. Yeah. Uh, I did believe it was well cast. Yeah, everybody's doing a great job. Gina Davis is uh, nominated for an Oscar in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, so would this hold up to multiple viewings? I think not. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and would the, would you recommend this movie to someone else? Uh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't either. So I'm only giving this movie one finger. What about you? Uh, we gave it collectively... Yeah, because each of us only count for half uh, two fingers. Okay, let's go over uh, Working Girl. Corey, I'm going to have you do the synopsis on Working Girl. Working Girl. Working Girl stars Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, and a little-known actor at the time named Harrison Ford. Who was not a little-known actor at the time. He was not. He was very big off of many things. (laughs) Uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, notably, you know made him a movie star uh, by that time. The plot revolves around uh, Melanie Griffith, uh, who is a sort of blonde, pretty lady in the business world. She went to night school to get her business degree and is trying to climb sort of up the ladder and is shown nothing but chauvinism by a lot of the male counterparts in, in the industry. She then gets a job working for Sigourney Weaver uh, for a mergers and acquisitions firm, you know, uh, it's, it's she works for business USA kind of a thing. It's the way it feels, but uh, typical she, 1980s yeah, office. 1980s, yeah, office a, drama. It is a typical 1980s office drama. She eventually takes over the identity, essentially, or the professional title of Sigourney Weaver when she breaks her legs, you know, skiing in Europe, and has to cover for her. And ends up pitching her own ideas, which she found out her boss, Sigourney Weaver, was going to steal anyway. And then the end, and then the movie ends with something else. <laughs> I don't know how to not do a, <laughs> one of these full synopsises without spoiling the movie. But anyway, it's a, a real, real nice story about sort of, you know, the uber competitive nature of you know being a woman in business surrounded by a bunch of men who are trying to prevent you from being successful as a woman in business um and even the women in the business are it's so cutthroat to try to get a step ahead so Corey, do you think this movie is timeless timeless i think it's very dated it's very much 80s big hair uh shoulder pads uh everything about it feels like you're watching a you know, a period piece now. I think also that so much has happened in our country within the last like five years. Office dramas are just incredibly dated. Very, very different um, social circumstances these days. But I do think that the general messages that we we just sort of uh, went over about like, you you know, trying to break the glass ceiling, uh, you know, scratching everybody 
on your way up to whatever level you can get to, you know, a lot of people being thrown under the bus, a lot of women throwing women under the bus. Yeah, but I think it's only, I think it's only relevant for 1980s, maybe early 90s. I think things change and you have to have movies that are relevant to that time. So I don't think it's timeless. I think it's a compelling story. I will give it. A, I will give. We'll, we'll split on on timeless only because I think that the theme is important to document. You know, sort of the history of that sort of feminist movement. Then that and professional. Then that doesn't. Movement. That's not timeless. That means it's a time I capsule. I say that <laughs> it has a, a an important piece to the entire timeline. So I'm going to give it a half point. You can't sway me, Jeff. Was it that's compelling? fine? You're, you, but you dis, disproved what you're saying as being I timeless know, Jeff. in in the in your explanation. You're like, I am saying it's timeless because it's a it's a window of time that we don't have anymore. It just it, I'm saying that the theme still exists, though it's getting better. But that doesn't okay. mean that it's not relevant. Is was what I'm going at there. But women don't still wear shoulder pads. Shoulder pads are coming back, man. Okay, so uh, let's see. Is the story compelling? I think the story is compelling. I agree. <coughs> was me, the but... movie well cast? I do oh. think it was well cast. It's got Mr. Harrison Ford. Um, but yeah, it's well cast. Okay, was it, uh, let's see, does it hold up to multiple viewings? I think it does. It's one of those movies that actually is popcorny. Yes, it? because it popcorn-y. is. Popcorny. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is the, one of those cookie cutter type '80s movie, it is an easy watch and it is easy to watch multiple times. That's true. Yes. And would you recommend this movie? No. I would not. No. If somebody had never seen this movie, I'd be like, "All right, <laughs> cool." That gives it a grand total of three point five. Next movie, my favorite movie on this list, Mississippi Burning, is the most compelling movie. Of the 80s. Fantastic Ooh, film. Of the entire 80s. This one was poignant. It had a purpose. A murder that happened that went that was very, very unjust. Is, it, is this a true story? True story. And it is one of the best food films, I think, of the 80s. Interesting. So, and it's one of the few films that Willem Dafoe has done where he, I don't get creeped out by him you're not scared you're not scared of willem dafoe in this movie i agree willem dafoe is is fantastic in this movie and i think uh snubbed a little bit for uh his oscar nomination yeah i actually think that gene hackman though is a little more natural acting in this film than willem dafoe is i think a little willem dafoe is a little bit of an over actor in this movie willem dafoe yeah i disagree I, i thought everybody in this is spot on why, why don't so? we tell them basically what, what the movie's about, Jeff? Okay. Just a synopsis of the film. For historical context, Mississippi Burning is based on the events that happened uh, to three civil rights workers in 1964 when they were trying to register African-American voters. And when they were doing that, <clears throat> the, the sheriff in this small town, a sheriff named Sheriff Stuckey, arranged for these boys to get arrested And then he let them go at a certain time. And when he let them go, surprisingly, these boys went missing. And this movie is about the FBI's hunt for these three civil rights workers. And I just think this is a fucking great film. Agreed. Yeah, this movie is quite, quite good. Let's take it through the metric to see how good, though, Jeff. 
Is this movie timeless? Uh, I mean, it is a period piece, so by definition, no. But I think absolutely its message, it doesn't feel dated in its telling of a period piece. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like some period, like Dirty Dancing, for instance, feels like a dated period piece. Well, Dirty Dancing is dated because it's got 80s music in 1960. Yeah, absolutely. This movie feels very much of the era, so I think, yes, timeless. Plus, the story that they're telling is an incredible, it's incredibly gut-wrenching story of real events. So, yeah, I give it a timeless. 100%. All right, let's continue on with our metric here. Is it compelling? I think we've made a case for it being compelling. Absolutely. Is it well cast? Fuck uh, yes. Mr. Gene Hackman? Gene Hackman. Let's just go down the list here of some of the great people in this movie. Gene Hackman, Francis McDormand, Willem Dafoe, Arlie Emery, who we talked about Full Metal Jacket a little yeah, while ago. Yeah, make sure everyone knows that Arlie Emery is the guy that plays the drill sergeant in everything. <laughs> yes, he plays the mayor of this town? Yeah, Mayor Tillman. He plays Mayor Tillman. Yeah. Who is not directly connected but he knows what's going on <laughs> oh and Corey, we just mentioned uh okay this is gonna this is funny we just mentioned ernest p worrell and all the ernest movies the guy who plays sheriff stuckey the really asshole the big mm-hmm. asshole in this movie is i don't even know how to say it name uh gaylord gaylord sartain yeah gaylord sartain actually is the guy who is in every Ernest P. Worrell film. That's a shift. And he's, he's in, in <laughs> Ernest Goes to Camp, he plays the sher- the, the chef. <laughs> in Ernest Goes to Jail, he plays the, sh- the, the, the secretary, what is it called? The security guard. Wow. He's in every Ernest film. Yeah, that's, that's a shift. Uh, Michael Rooker is in this movie. Stephen Tobolowski, uh, who most famously played the uh, guy in Groundhog's Day who Bill Murray punches. Yeah, Michael Rooker's in this. A uh, ton of good people. Pruitt Taylor Vince, who uh, most people might know as that character actor with the twitchy eyes, who's an incredible actor, doesn't get a lot of uh, praise. Uh, he's underrated, I think. Um, he's he's pretty, pretty good in this movie and in everything he does. Uh, but... The, the bit of casting that I want to point out here is Darius McRae is in this movie. And once you see him show up, he's very young in this. Uh, once you see him, immediately you're like, hey, is that Eddie Winslow? <laughs> From Family Matters? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. He, he looks exactly the same. It's crazy. Okay, well, let's move on to our week. So that gives us... Oh, would, would you recommend it? Yes. Yeah, I, I believe I've made movie. that frighteningly clear. I just thought I'd make it official. <laughs> so we I have... What are we moving on to next? Five star, five fingers for that. Moving on to the next film, we have the movie Rain Man, the winner of Best Picture for the year 1989. <clears throat> so going over this film real quick for a quick synopsis. Tom Cruise is an asshole. He's a rich <laughs> asshole. He is a shitty little rich boy who got in a fight with his dad over a car and he doesn't want and he doesn't talk to his dad. And then when his dad dies and his dad gives him a car and some roses 
And then he gets mad when he goes to get his millions from his dad, and he realizes that the money has all been put in a trust, and he doesn't get anything except for that car and those roses. And then he finds out that all his money went to his brother who has special needs, and he doesn't know he had a brother. So he, like any loving brother would, goes and kidnaps his brother and tells the caretaker if you give me my inheritance, I'll give him back. It is yeah. a much beloved movie, Jeff. Uh, do you think it's timeless? I don't actually think it's timeless. I think that there's a lot of things in here that are, because he's autistic, he has to have a routine. All his all his clothes come from Kmart. And he loves. There is the no t- Kmart in California. The TV schedule. There is no Kmart in California now. Hey, dude, People's Court is still on. People's Court, but not Judge Wapner. No, it's the new. It's Judge Judy yeah. now. But he has to watch People's Court. And there is still People's Court. So, and there still is gambling. <laughs> there is. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's kind. Of, I don't. I think it's a little bit uh, dated. But I'll be honest. I was shocked that this was made in the '80s. This always felt like a '90s movie to me. Uh, I probably no. This is classic '80s. It, it. I'm just like it's probably because I know Tom. I thought it was like a early 90s movie i mean it's close but like i always thought that this was made in the 90s um so it feels a little ahead of its time but it also feels very not uh timeless to me it feels it feels very very stuck in a time plus the themes that we just kind of went over uh kind of keep it back there as being sort of like a ooh. <laughs> well i mean gonna, there's some things about like i don't know i'm not like, gonna read quite as well <laughs> If you today's audiences, if you take your brother, don't you think, I don't know. It's just a lot of plot. There's a lot of because movies in this movie. Yeah. I I think that this is a movie that's been sort of parodied and, you know, like, uh, there are moments in it that are iconic, the matching suits, the, you know, them coming down the escalator at the, at the casino, that kind of stuff. But I think in more recent times, this will not be looked on favorably more and more. So yeah, not, not timeless. Well, there is some stuff. The only thing I've seen that's really um, accurate are his behaviors that he has. Mm-hmm. It's very accurate. And the ending scene when he's talking and he just keeps saying yes, the very ending scene, those are very accurate. But a lot of the other depictions don't add up. Because they're inconsistent with somebody who has autism. Yeah. It, Dustin Hoffman isn't necessarily what's wrong with this film. Uh, does it have a compelling story, Jeff? As, I, think the, I think the story is compelling, yes. Compelling but problematic? I think it's compelling but pro- problematic, but it is compelling. I think it's not timeless. It is compelling. Yeah, I, I think you have to make a lot of concessions for when you get to the end, I think. Um. But, I just think Tom Cruise is an asshole to his brother the whole movie, and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah. oh, now we've bonded. And it's like, dude, you, you kidnapped him so that you could get your inheritance. Yeah, and now that you have some money because of him, you feel okay about him? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fucking asshole. Uh, it's not very redeemy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Was it well cast? I, I think it absolutely was well cast. I think Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. I do like Tom Cruise. I think he's a great actor, but I think that uh, Dustin. Tom, I think Tom Cruise actually did a great job in this movie. Being an asshole. 
He was an asshole, but he's also showed his frustration. He should, sure. I mean, he was, I think he did a lot. I think, I don't I think, think he did is, better than Tom, than Dustin Hoffman. I just think they did both did a good job. I think this is uh, the closest that maybe, maybe beside Jerry Maguire that Tom Cruise has really come to getting that Oscar nom, you know, but it helps that he's acting, you know, opposite of Dustin Hoffman to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean, Dustin Hoffman's good. Um, they're both good. Yeah. Well cast. And I'm, I have a soft spot in my heart for Bonnie Hunt, and she's in this movie, so it's great cast. <laughs> <laughs> she's in it, like, for five seconds, dude. I know, but she's in it. <laughs> she's also in Jerry Maguire. So the bottom line, Tom Cruise should do more movies with Bonnie Hunt because they end up being good movies. <laughs> Does the movie hold up to multiple viewings? Better, better movies. Um, it is a movie that I've seen multiple times. It's a hard but, watch. I don't know. I don't know if I could watch it multiple I, times. I don't believe that I've actively sought out this movie ever. It's one of those that's either just on, um, and I've caught it a few times, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard I watch. Guess, I guess technically because, because I've seen it multiple times, I have to give it a half point. If you're, if you're not going to give it a point, then it, it gets I'm a, not a going to. No. All right, cool. Would you recommend this movie, Rain Man? I would recommend it to somebody, but... All right, I'll give it a half a point. What did it end All up right. with? Three. Interesting. Three fingers. All right. So, last but not least, by any means, we have... Good morning, Vietnam! All right, cool. All right, give us a bit of a synopsis on Good Morning, Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam is about the DJ Adrian Cronauer. He is a <clears throat> he is a DJ for the is it the US is the Army Army Broadcasting <laughs> Services? It's, yeah, it's like the, yeah, radio. Yeah, it's I'm sure they they're more specific about it in the film, but yeah. He's a he's a radio DJ for the Army and he's, he's sort of a little a bit yuck yucky radio guy. Yeah, he's a little bit unorthodox he comes at the beginning of vietnam of the of the vietnam conflict uh in the 60 in the early 60s he comes from greece he comes over from greece and then he uh, comes into vietnam he's very unorthodox so everything he does is not what the what the army wants he has some very very strict uh bosses or generals or sergeants or whatever mm -hmm. and they do not like him because they not do not fan. like rule breakers. Uh, and he does everything he can to fuck with them. Mm -hmm. And I can't say enough good things about it. So, I mean, it's got some of his best comedy in it. <laughs> it's got a great soundtrack. It, this one breaks the rule of if a movie has a great soundtrack, the movie's shitty. <laughs> this true. movie has a great soundtrack and is fantastic. I would say that a lot of movies, specifically about Vietnam, have great soundtracks and That's are true. also good movies. That's true. You know, like uh, that, this that's one, where the exception to that rule really sits in a nice zone. Yeah, true. Yeah, the, the movie has a wonderful dramatic arc. Uh, Robin Williams is masterful. I mean, Robin Williams at this time in the 80s, has he done any serious stuff up until this point? Yeah, he probably does Dead Poets Society. Like, it comes out two years later, but he probably starts doing it right after this movie. Probably, yeah. All right, let's run it through the metric. Is it a timeless movie? Another period piece. Another oh, this one movie is definitely 60. timeless. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam War movies don't really change unless the 
unless the political viewpoint of the movie changes. I will say that the look of this film does feel a little dated to me. Uh, I don't, I don't think. In comparison to Mississippi Burning. Um, but that might be because a lot of my memories of this movie were watching it on TV. So the quality was... I think the quality of this film, movie whatever. is fantastic. Um, I actually think the quality of this film is better than Mississippi Burning. It, it probably is. I, I have yet to see it in more modern viewing eyes on like a regular theatrical run, like a uh, viewing. Um, you know, like I said, my, my memories of it are on grainy television. So it feels like, Oh no, that, that movie, my memories of the movie feel dated. So I'm not going to dock at points for it because I think that the story and because it's depicting, a, you know, Vietnam well, thank you for not. wasting the last five minutes. I'm sorry. Moving on. <laughs> Was it compelling? Yes. Yes, it's compelling. Well cast. Well cast, yes. And uh, does it hold uh, up multiple? Multiple viewings. I've, I've seen it a couple times, but I haven't seen it recently. I watch it anytime it's on. This or anytime movie- I see it on a streaming service. Really? This is uh-huh. a movie that I... I want to watch again. So I guess, yes. Yeah. Would you recommend this movie? I would say if somebody hasn't seen it, it is, I want to be them because seeing this movie for the first time, I'd be laughing my ass off. I think, I think there might be a lot of people that have not been exposed to this version of, or this early version of Robin Williams sort of, you know, straddling the fence. I think there, there are, enough people out there that probably haven't seen Good Morning Vietnam as, as compared to like Dead Poet Society or some of the other dramatic movies that the, we know from later the jokes on aren't Robin exactly what's funny about the jokes he uses in this they're not exactly yuck yucky they're jokes that he's using that are topical for the time of 1963 or whatever he does so he's making jokes about the Ho Chi Minh Trail yeah. And you don't know that he is the leader of the Viet Cong and that the Ho Chi Minh Trail was the trail that led through the jungle at night. You wouldn't even get that joke. Mm-hmm. That's so true. it's topical humor for the for for actually happening in Vietnam. That's pretty fucking genius for a comedian to do. It's like he's killing yeah. in a room of actual of actual like Vietnam soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I meant yuck yucky in in the way that um, he plays an ex like a, an exuberant radio personality. You know? Yeah, I, th- I don't, and I don't think that the radio personality was that over the top and crazy. I think he was probably just a. That's probably know. a character thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so recommend you say yes. Absolutely, I. I mean, I, I guess I would also recommend this movie. So, look at that. All right. Also gets five. All right. Let's run down. That, that's that's our list. Our nominees minus dangerous liaisons because because uh, bullshit. But anyway, <clears throat> all right. Going down the list of these movies in reverse order based off their score with two fingers. We have ah uh-uh. dangerous liaisons. Oh, dangerous no. liaisons. No zero. score. Or sometimes we'll give them just a one because the graphic for that is a middle finger. <laughs> uh, but then um, the accidental tourist with number with two fingers. Then we go to Rain Man with three fingers. 
<laughs> Working Girl is next with three and a half fingers. Uh, then we jump up to Big with four and a half. And uh-oh, Jeff, we have a tie for first between Mississippi Burning and Good Morning Vietnam. Two period pieces. I guess that means that we have to do Rock, Paper, Scissors, Oscar. Ooh. Oscar. Ooh. I don't know if my heart can take this, Jeff. All right. Time for Rock, Paper, Scissors, Oscar. I will go with uh, Mississippi Burning. All right, I'll be and shooting. Go good morning, Vietnam. Okay, ready? All right, how can you see? We're, yep. we're on video chat here. Can do I need to like stand up? You need to be higher. Can you see? Okay, ready? Can you see this? All right, mm-hmm. so it's rock paper scissors Oscars, and then we we shoot in. Yeah. No, it should be rock paper scissors Oscars. Shoot on Oscars. Shoot on Oscars. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Ready? Rock, rock paper <laughs> paper scissors, scissors, scissors. Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> All right, paper. Jeff threw paper. I threw rock. One point. For Mississippi burning. All right, here we go. We got to go again. Jesus, we just, we've done this like six times. It's, it's best two out of three. Just edit the only ones that count, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm leaving all this in. <laughs> Rock, Rock, paper, paper scissors, scissors Oscar. Oscar. Both shots, scissors okay. again. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors Oscar. Oscar. We both shot paper. We're, we're game okay, theory together here. Rock, rock, paper, paper scissors, scissors, Oscar. Oscar. Oh, <laughs> Jeff got scissors. I got paper. That means Mississippi Burning gets the Oscar. Go rip it from the Woo-hoo! hands of the producers of Rain Man. With Mark Johnson. Fuck you. Give that Oscar back and send it right over to uh, Mississippi. Frederick Zalo and Robert F. Cozzleberry, producers for Mississippi Burning. Their film was far superior. Sorry, Rain Man, but you're out. Change the Wikipedia pages and let it be known for all the rest of time in history that in 1989, at the 61st Academy Awards, the winner for Best Picture was Mississippi Burning. That's great. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. And Corey and I would like to do something we haven't done in a really long time, which is dedicate our episode to a famous actor that we love so very much. We're going to dedicate the 1988 Oscar Award Show to the actor known for playing the part of Wade Garrett in the 1989 film Roadhouse. We're going to dedicate this episode to Mr. Sam Elliott. Uh, please like and subscribe to uh, the show wherever you get your podcast, which is pretty much everywhere. Um, follow us on Twitter at Switch Envelope and follow us on Instagram at Switch The Envelope. And you can always go to switchtheenvelope.com for all your Switch The Envelope needs. Most importantly, Switches... If you like this show, please tell a friend, spread the word, and let's grow this community one fan at a time. Thank you, Switches. See you later, everybody. The following has been a Riff Laugh production.